Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. We're going to have a great time this morning, though. Uh, Joshua 14, I'm going to read, if you're new to our church, I'm going to read eight verses today out of Joshua 14. I'm going to flip over to Numbers 14, read one verse. I'm going to pray. After I pray, I'm going to tell a couple stories. If you laugh, we call them call them jokes if you laugh. If we don't, just a story. But I'm hoping today, because my wife gauges the quality of my messages by the jokes. <laughs> so Lord help us. Um, today, uh, I want to conclude this series, and uh, I really want to talk about, um, I want to talk about, I felt like God was speaking to me even this whole week, last two weeks, about how it's amazing that people can, in life can go through the same circumstances, have similar challenges, deal with the same stresses, pressures, anxieties, but it's amazing how it's like the same sun that milk melts butter hardens clay. And it's crazy how some people go through the same things, but they respond completely differently. And today I want to talk to you about the difference. The difference. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this title down, Common Differences. Common Differences. There's a story about a guy named Caleb, who if you don't know the story, you're not familiar with it, uh, there was 3 million people that were in bondage for 400 years. A guy named Moses led all of them out of, the, out of slavery. They went into a wilderness of weeds for 40 years. During 40 years, they, they went into that wilderness because 40 years before that, Moses would send 12 spies to go into the land promised to Abraham 600 years prior, the most fertile soil on the earth along the Mediterranean Sea, separating Europe from Africa. And God would promise them 10,000 square miles of, of the most pristine real estate on the earth. He would send 12 young men that were about 40 years of age, into the promised land. And when you get closer to 40, it's young. Can I get an amen? 20 years, like, young. <laughs> uh, but they sent these 40-year-old men, Joshua and Caleb being two out of the 12. They came back, and out of the 12, only two had a report that God could give them the land. Ten people said, there's no way it's going to happen. There's, just, there's no way that God could give us this land. And so because of their unbelief, their report, Three million people spend four decades in a wilderness. And I want to talk today about the two people that had a different perspective, which incidentally were the only two adults that actually went into the promised land. And so I want to talk today about common differences. If you're ready to go, say, I'm ready. Joshua chapter 14. Again, we're going to begin reading in verse 6. And I'm going to read uh, eight verses here. It says, Then the children of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of... um, The Kenizzite said to him, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you in the Kadesh Barnea. Uh, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, came to me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought back, I brought back with Joshua, word, all that was in my heart. Nevertheless, the other ten guys that were with me, um, my brethren who went up with me, made the heart of all of God's people melt. But I, Caleb, followed the Lord, my God, with all of my heart. So Moses swore that day, surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord, my God. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as, as he said, these 45 years. He's now 85-year-old man. Ever since the Lord spoke to me the word that Moses, while uh, was in Israel, wandering in the wilderness, and now here I am this day, 85 years old, I still got a six-pack. Come on. 
kidding, but it's, it's, it's pretty much true. He was in great shape. Yet he says this, as yet I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me, just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going in and for coming, coming out. Now, therefore, give me this particular mountain, which the Lord spoke in that day. For you have heard in that day how, how the, the Anakim were, were there and how the cities were, were, uh, were great and fortified. And it may be in that day that the Lord will give me and I shall be able to drive them out, all these enemies of the Lord, as the Lord said, as the Lord, as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him, gave him uh, Hebron, which is the brother of Lebron, <laughs> to Caleb, the, the son of, uh, as an inheritance. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of the Kezite, as it is to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. I want to pray this morning, and again, I just really felt like the Lord, um, he, he said, uh, I want, he wanted me to talk today about common, common differences. Common differences. Actually, before I pray, would you just read this one verse? Can we put it on the screen, guys? Numbers? Numbers 14. This is what God, maybe one of the greatest compliments God gave anybody in the Old Testament. Watch what he says about Caleb. God speaking, he says, but my servant Caleb, because he had a different he had a different spirit in him and has fo followed me fully. I will bring him into the land where he went and his descendants will inherit it because he had a different spirit. And so today I want to talk to you about common differences. Lord, I just pray that for the next few moments, next 20, 25 minutes that you would come in this room. I thank you that, Lord, you would use, God, this, this moment, these words. I even asked, Lord, as it says in the Bible that, God, when, when men and women of God would preach your word, that you would confirm their words by your power, your signs, and your wonders following. So I pray today, Lord, that not only would we sense you in this room during this, during this talk, but I ask you that at the end of this message in about 20 or 25 minutes, that you would confirm that I am, I'm telling the truth by coming in this room and healing people that need to be healed, encouraging people that need to be encouraged, and restoring people that need to be restored. I pray, Lord, that you would make us like Caleb, like Joshua, in Jesus' name. If you believe it, go ahead and say... Amen, amen. Common, common, common differences. Common differences. Have you ever noticed that, uh, that men and women are, are different? Yeah. Yeah. You can stop right there, and that's just, come on, that's, that's pretty much a, that is, the, that is the segue into a long comedy sketch. That men and women are different. I've learned that men, we don't say as much. Women, they, they, they elaborate on everything. And we're just different that way. Like, I could go golf with one of my best friends. We could golf for 12 hours together. I could come home from playing golf, and my wife would say something like, hey, how are they doing? And I'm like, good. <laughs> what did you guys talk about during those 12 hours of golf? <laughs> Nothing. Did you know that, you know, they're going through a hard time right now? No, I didn't. <laughs> did you know that, you know, all these things that are happening right now, that, you know, his wife Susie called me and said all these things are going on, and... And literally, I spent 12 hours of them. I have no idea anything. My wife talks to Susie for five minutes and knows the affairs of every detail. It's like when you wake up in the morning, guys, you know, we, we tell a story, and it's like, yeah, I woke up, and I knew that, you know, I, got, I had to get some things done that, that week. But women, they wake up, and this is how they would describe it. I woke up this morning, and the first thing I sensed was the Lord speaking to me, faith. And when I woke up, I smelled coffee in the house. I could smell the coffee beans. I remember when I woke up, my pillow sheet, there was a little stain. I think it was from my eyeshadow. 
And they get in, guys and girls, they can tell the exact same story, but they tell it, are you following me, completely differently. <laughs> Women want you to know the emotional state they were in when it was happening. Guys get straight to the punchline. And it's just funny, it kind of reminds me of the difference between um, like a traffic reporter that's in traffic versus guys that are in the helicopter. Now, I don't know about you, I'm used to the traffic. I can deal with the traffic in California. But the difference really that drives me crazy is I don't like the way that the condescending traffic reporters report down here. Like they sit up high and mighty in their helicopters and they essentially dictate how awesome it is to be in their helicopter. They speak down on all of us regular folks. I wanna, okay, I'm looking down right now on the five freeway to all the morons stuck in bottleneck traffic. And the worst part about the guy in the helicopter is not only does he tell you what you already know, because it's the same every day, it's like, the, it's like the meteorologist is like, tonight, uh, we're expecting it to get fairly dark and then fully dark. We're projecting that tomorrow there's going to be fairly light in the morning, followed by full brightness. You know what meteorologist means? It means liar. And uh, I think the easiest job in the world is actually being a meteorologist in Orange County. It's going to be nice today. What's the difference? I would love to see a traffic reporter actually report from the traffic. Rather than sitting in the helicopter saying it's bottleneck traffic on the 5 freeway and this next traffic spot is sponsored by, come on, Home Depot. That's only, they're, they're, they're pushing their traffic sponsorships. I want a guy reporting from the car. And literally just goes, all right, we're going to go to Bill right now. He's in the 5 traffic right now. Bill, you're, you're live. It'd be a completely different experience. It's crazy that you can be up high in traffic, be down low in traffic, and you see things that are the same from different perspectives. Men and women see it differently. Helicopters and cars see it differently. It's the same, same scenario, same facts, same situation. But for some reason, seeing it from there or here is different. And seeing as a man or as a woman is different. And I'm not suggesting one is better or one is worse. I'm just saying there is a difference. Can we all agree? And I just felt like even as I was reading through this, that was just, man, this is amazing that Caleb and Joshua, can you imagine? They had more of a right than maybe anybody in that time period to get bitter, hard-hearted, and frustrated with God. They're the only two people that did everything right, said everything right, believed everything right. Hey, God, because here's the deal. Everyone agreed on two things, but there was a disagreement on the third point. Are you ready to go? Yeah. Out of the 12 spies that walked in and saw the promised land, saw the cities, saw the giants, saw the fruit, everyone, number one, agreed. All 12 spies agreed on, number one, the value of the land. This place that God is giving, that this place that God promised is, number one, it's good. There are grapes here the size of plums. There are beautiful houses beautiful vineyards. This land is flowing. Come on, like, like the salmon of Capistrano. Like there is a blessing in this land. They all agreed on the value of the land. Number two, they all agreed on the, the uh, description of the cities and they all agreed on the description of the enemies. They all said, look, the cities are fortified. They're beautiful, but they're fortified. But there are giants living in the land. So Joshua and Caleb, listen to me. Faith is not disregarding facts. 
Some people think, well, if you're going to be a faith person, you've got to, like, you just don't ever say anything. You don't acknowledge. If the doctor says you're dying, you don't have to don't acknowledge that. Faith is not disregarding facts. Faith is actually acknowledging in the face of facts that there is a God that intervenes. And so, two, all 12, they all acknowledge, hey, the land is valuable. This, there's giants. There's cities. There's giants. There's... There's beautiful things going on. There's challenges. But the third thing that there was a disagreement, the common difference between Joshua and Caleb as opposed to the other ten, what made two out of ten different was is they saw the two areas from a different perspective. There was a difference. There was a difference. And God would actually go on and give a compliment to Caleb that would make even the greatest saint blush. This guy has a different spirit. Can you imagine if the Bible is being written today? If your name was in, in it, and God would actually brag about the way you live and conduct your life, saying that, look, they are not like everybody else. There is something different in them. They have a different courage, different perspective. And by the way, faith is not the absence of reason. I want to just get pushed on this because uh, James chapter 1 says, If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. But when he asks, let him ask with faith. Faith and wisdom are not antithesis to one another. They're not at odds. Faith is not anti-logic. But what it is, is there is a difference in the conduct and the soul and the spirit of God's people when they have a spirit of belief that says, look, I'm not disregarding the facts, but I'm also not disregarding God. That's what faith is. Faith is not thinking less of the facts. It's just not thinking less of God either. And so Joshua and Caleb, they have a different spirit. Caleb's story stands out because his faith stood out. I believe that we're going to be a church like Caleb that has a different spirit. A different attitude, different perception, different, different, different viewpoint, different priorities. What is the difference? I, I love this because I read this to you and I, uh, I, I, it's interesting, these eight verses we read out of Genesis, uh, excuse me, out of uh, Joshua 14. These eight verses, the one commonality, I don't know if you caught it, but there was, there was a commonality that, that Caleb kept referring to over, 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 over again. And I believe there's three things that make Caleb different that makes us different. Are you ready to go? And by the way, this is the irony of our culture is we all want to make a difference, but no one wants to be different. And you write this in your notes. It's worth writing down. You will never make a difference by being the same as everybody else. I want to be different, but I want to live like everyone else lives. I want to make a difference, but I just don't want to stand out. I want to stand up in a generation that's sitting down, but I don't want to be noticed. I've learned that if you want to make a difference, you have to be willing to be different. And there was three distinct differences of Caleb, I believe, that are true of us today if we are going to be promised land type of people. Are you ready to go? Here's the first thing I noticed about Caleb is that if you read those nine verses, eight verses about Caleb in Genesis 14, Joshua 14, 6 through 14, is it says this. It says nine different times, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. The Lord. Did you see all that? I'm going to bring it out to next service because it's recorded. Come on, matters a little bit more. But you're my, you're my guinea pigs. Is that all right? <laughs> but I want, to, I want to bring your attention to this idea that Caleb, imagine this, 40 years earlier, he was, or 45 years earlier, he was 40 years old. He walks into a land. He sees giants in it. He sees cities, but he believes that God can give it to him. He goes back, says the right things, does the right things, lives the right way. But because of everybody else's doubt, he is a, he's, a, he's, a, he's an innocent bystander of the doubts of other people. 
And he has to spend four decades, imagine this, 40 years literally running the scenario of his dreams. One day I'm going to, man, there's a mountain there I want to go to, Mount, Mount Hebron is, is where I want to go. I wanna, there's giants living there. I'm going to go there one day. And, and when I get to that place, it's going to be mine one day. I have a dream. I'm going I'm to take that land for God. That's, that's what I want. That's what I'm going to get. Four decades of thinking about his dreams. Now, I want you to know, most of us, if we wait for four days for God, we start getting annoyed. We're a microwave generation. Come on, somebody. Hot pockets. They're either frozen inside or they're lava inside. Are you with me? No common ground. I get frustrated. I'm pasting in front of toasters. I don't have time for, to, to toast my Pop-Tarts. We're such in a hurry. And, and here's the deal is that Joshua, Caleb, they wait four decades to step back into the dream. And if anyone had a right to get discouraged, defeated, ignored, bitter, start cursing God, God, how could you? I did everything right and things didn't go the way I wanted. It was Caleb. But it's funny because we don't really know much about Caleb's life during those four decades, but we do know at 85 years of age, we know two things about Caleb. Number one thing that we know is that this guy had the Lord on his brain. Which leads me to believe this, that if you want to be a promised land dweller and you want to be different, you actually have to saturate your mind on the things of God. Number one, saturate your mind on the things of God. Notice what he didn't do, which probably most people today, if the, if the Bible was being written now and they went through this, this is what most what would have been reported of most of us. They would have came to Joshua, they would have said, the problem, the problem, the problem, the problem, the economy, the economy, the economy, the politics, the politics, the politics, the state, the state, California, California, the taxes, the taxes, the prices, the prices, the ugliest million dollar houses, 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 houses. Notice here that nine times the only thing that is repeated is that Joshua has a mind that's saturated on the Lord. I want to make a point to you that what makes us different is that we don't disregard problems, but we don't disregard God. That we have a mind, because here's what I know, is your greatest thoughts are God thoughts. Your greatest ideas are God ideas. And you are thinking at your highest level when you are honoring and acknowledging God. It says in Proverbs 3, to acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will direct your I want my life to be directed by God. I want him to orchestrate my steps. How do you do that? By saying, the Lord. The Lord. There's a diagnosis, but there's the Lord. There's, there's a trial, right? But there's the Lord. There's a temptation, but there's the Lord. And, man, there's some challenges with my kids, but there's the Lord. And, listen, I think too many times we acknowledge the problem, but I believe that what makes us different is by acknowledging, come on, the Caleb says, the Lord. He promised me. The Lord said that one day. The Lord said, this is my inheritance. The Lord said, that's my mountain. The Lord. I believe too many of us in this day and age, we're like, why aren't we like Caleb, like Joshua? It's because we're not saturating our mind with the things of God. Philippians says to actually literally think on the things that are above. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things have good report, whatever things that virtue are are honoring, are honorable, meditate on these things. It says to set your mind. Paul says set your mind on the things that are above. It's funny that we spend more time thinking about our 401k than we think about heaven. We spend more time preparing for retirement than we do for eternity. We actually think that we're never going to die. And it's crazy that those that think only about this life miss out on the next one. But the ones that are obsessed thinking about, you know what, there is a hereafter. I want to make my life here count for the one that's coming. 
C.S. Lewis said, aim for this life and you missed eternity. But aim for heaven and you get both. I believe many people don't make a difference because they think solely on the here and now. What did, what did Caleb do? He saturated his mind. My mind is marinated. I literally had the flavor. I, my mind smells like the smoke of heaven. I've been thinking about God. I've been thinking about what he's done in the past. It's, I love Joshua. It says that in Joshua's days, Israel served the Lord. It actually goes on to say that after Joshua died, Israel continued to serve God as long as the elders that were with Joshua were alive. But when the generation after came that did not know personally the exploits of God, that's when the nation turned away. And I believe many people today are turning away from God because they don't have a firsthand knowledge of the Lord. The Lord. What difference? There is a difference. I believe the first difference of, of Caleb is that he saturated his mind, come on, on the Lord. Again, it's not denying our problems. It's just not denying God. It goes on, it says, you know, it says Isaiah 26, 3, it says that it says that God will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on the Lord. Have you noticed that like there's more anxiety and more people having panic attacks and depression and more prescription medication for loneliness? And I'm not I'm not against any of those things. But I do believe that the Bible gives us a promise that he can keep our minds at peace. How? By saturating your thoughts on God. You know what I've learned? I can't control how I feel, but I can't control what I think about. That was a good spot for an amen. Amen myself. Go ahead, preacher. Go ahead and preach. You can't control your feelings sometimes, but you can't control what you think about. Do you know what's crazy? That, that neuroscientists actually teach us that your brain releases the same endorphins that make you happy. When, when, when something good happens to you, your brain releases a chemical, and when that chemical actually makes you feel like that joy, that, that momentary joy, it's that euphoric joy. And it's interesting that your mind actually can't distinguish between joy that's currently happening or joy that has happened in, in, in past days when you set your mind on that experience. They say it's an interesting, fascinating study that when something good happens to you, it releases something that causes happiness. But it's interesting because if you actually go back and think about that event and you replay the things that God has done in the past, it'll release the same chemical in your brain as though it was happening current, current tense. Does that make sense? And so many people, they, 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 they're a victim of whatever they feel. Instead of saying, no, I feel low. What does it say in Psalms 42, verse 5? It says, put up on the screens for me. Psalms 42, verse 5, it goes on. If we don't have it, I can, I can read it. David says, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you, dis why are you, why are you disquainted within me? He goes on and talks about how, how discouraged he is. But then he goes on. Let me just read it for you. I'll, I'll throw it up on, on my Bible here. Good old trusty Bible. Never fails. Psalms 42, verse 5. What does it say? It says, why are you downcast? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you disquainted within me? Uh, hope in God. Hope in God. For I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Hope in God. For I will yet praise him. So we can't, we can't control if bad things, challenging things happen to us, but we can control what we hope in in those moments. I'm going to hope in God. Come on, can I get an amen? And I believe that that's what, made, that's what made Caleb different is he hoped in God. I believe the second thing that makes us different is number two is we have to, if we're going to be different people, we have to disregard doubters. We disregard doubters. 
I have learned that if you try to make everybody happy at all times, you'll make no one happy. And I've learned that if you want to make everyone happy in your life, do nothing. Because the only thing that most people don't complain about is you doing nothing. But I've learned the moment you start achieving and going after God's dreams, going after his desires, everyone has an opinion. You shouldn't move to California. That, that, that state's going to hell. I'm like, yeah, exactly. Why are we creating Christian ghettos? Why are we all congregating together? I, last time I checked, salt preserves. Preserves. We are salt and we are light. You never see a bunch of salt in one pile. The only thing that goes in piles is manure. Come on. I don't want to be a manure Christian. I want to be a salt Christian. Salt preserves. It seasons. Come on. It brings flavor. You know what salt does? It makes people thirsty. I believe that Christianity is about knowing God at such a level that it makes the world around you thirsty. It's a light preaching first service. There was a difference because he made a decision that we are going to disregard the doubters. There was 10 people, and I'm not saying that we don't have a heart for people that are in doubt. I'm just saying some people prefer misery over solutions. Some people would rather pull you down than let you bring them up. And I'm just saying to you that if you want to be like Caleb, you have to make a decision. You know what? I'm going to be different in the fact that I'm not waiting for everyone's uh, high five to go after the things of God. I'm not waiting for everybody to understand, to believe what I believe, expect what I expect. There are some people that literally, they, 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 they just have a perpetual bend. They prefer the wilderness. And Psalms chapter 1 actually says in verse 1, it says, Blessed is a man who walks not in the council of ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful mockers. What are scornful people? They're people that literally, they just have, they have their mind made up that I would rather be miserable than be healthy. And I'm telling you right now that if you surround yourself by people that don't believe that God can do great things, I'm not encouraging the world to isolate from people that need Jesus, but I am saying that you can't let people that are, that are in disbelief dictate the direction of your future. We can't do it. They're too big. Giants are too strong. That land is fortified. There's giant walls. There's, there's giant armies and militias. There's no way. Ten of them said they couldn't. But Caleb had a different spirit and goes, you know what? I'm not going to let what the masses say determine what I say. And there is ever a word to America right now is we can't allow what the masses are saying to dictate what's right, what's wrong, what's in, what's out, what's truth, and what's lies. Truth doesn't change. And I want to go to church that's relevant, that's powerful, that's fun. But at the end of the day, I want to go to church that tells the truth. Because I think in many ways, truth is what makes relevance fun, excitement. But relevance, fun, and excitement without truth eventually topples over. Are you hearing me? Is I believe that so many people, they, 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 they want to be dictated by what other people believe. And I just think that, again, people that have a different spirit make up their mind, calm differences, is they go, you know what? There's reasons to doubt, but there's also reasons to believe. I'll encourage you to write that down. There's always going to be a reason to doubt. But I also believe equally there's always going to be a reason to believe. We serve a God that specializes in moving mountains. We, special, we, we serve a God that actually can do impossible things. And I believe that we got to believe God anyways. The third thing we know about him, this will spend the remainder duration of my time, 
is what made Caleb different is that he actually, number three, this is really important, is he actually lived for a kingdom cause. A kingdom cause. You know what I've noticed, especially even in places like Orange County, is that people that have everything, the more they try to satisfy themselves, it seems like it's the emptier they get. It's almost like being surrounded by salt water, and the more you drink, the thirstier you get. The faster you die. There's something about, man, not living just for your own life, for your own appetites, your own desires. There's something about living for the desires of other people. I heard one man say that the fastest way to cause your own troubles to evaporate is by helping somebody else's. Joseph is proof of this, that he became a, a recipient of a God dream by fulfilling the dreams of two other people. I believe the fastest way to actually bring your dreams to pass is by helping somebody else bring their dreams to pass. He, uh, he had a kingdom cause. Here's interesting. I want to point this out. I never thought about this until this week. Notice that Caleb does not request Jerusalem that's perched up on beautiful Mount Moriah. He does, not, he does not ask for the brook or the valley of Eshkol, which is the most fruitful. It literally means, it means branch. It means, it means abundant. It means, it means lavish. He does not request the place in the promised land that has the most fruit or the most beauty. Because 45 years earlier, when he walked into the promised land, something bugged him. Here's what it was. He, he goes into Hebron. And Hebron was a place, it's actually the only land that Abraham ever owned. And uh, Caleb was bothered by the idea that God promises this huge region, but there was only a small bit of land, Hebron, that actually Abraham owned himself. It was a sacred site. It's where the angels would meet with Abraham. It would be where, it's where God negotiated with Abraham, or, or Abraham negotiated with God about Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot. It was, it was the place that God, God was entertained by Abraham. It was, where, uh, it was where Abraham sat under the oak trees. It was where, it was a sacred place. Abraham would bury his wife Sarah there. Jacob, Rebekah, Isaac would be buried there. Abraham himself would be buried there. Hebron was a sacred site. Sacred. And it really disturbed Caleb when he went into the promised land that maybe the most sacred site of all the very place that the guy that received the promise was buried in was the place that was inhabited by some of the most unholy people. And he was bugged by it. He's like, look, I don't, I don't need beautiful Mount Moriah. I don't need some lavish garden. I want to go take the place that belongs to the guy that started this whole thing. And he, uh, he was bothered by this, this cause, Hebron. He, I, want, I, want, I want Hebron. I want, I want that place. I, I don't need any other place. I need this place. He was, he was literally so focused that he, uh, he didn't ask for anything else. He just wanted his Hebrew. I think that it's so important. Um, I think many times our life we get so overwhelmed by our problems because uh, we don't live for a big enough cause. We get so stressed out about, man, this or that or the other. Because we're living for too small of a cause. Caleb was different because he had a cause that he wanted to give his life to. And if you're taking a sub note here, I want you to write this sub point down. I think one of the ways we take our, our Hebrews, Hebrews is we take our, our, our fortified mountains that belong to God. We take them by staying ready. 
I want to point this out, that he was 40 years old when he saw it. He was 85 years old when he charges it. And he actually goes on the record to say, I'm as strong today as I was 45 years ago. Can I ask you a question? Do you think he was sitting around eating Fritos? Come on. Binge watching Netflix. Just doing a bunch of nothing with his life. I'm convinced he was probably doing push-ups for four decades. He knew one day he was going to make his request. One day, I'm going to get stand before Joshua, and I'm going to remind him what Moses told me. I want my mountain. I want my cause. I'm going to live for this cause. Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, the holy family that's entombed in this earth will not be inhabited by people that disregard God. This land belongs to Jesus. And I actually believe this, that if you want to live a different life, you have to live for a kingdom cause. We have people that are obsessed with building their castles, their sand castles, but they don't live for God's kingdom. I don't want to be a castle builder. I want to be a kingdom builder. Oceans does not exist to make Oceans Church great. We exist to actually make the kingdom of God great. We believe in the local church, but we also believe in the big C. Come on, church. Jesus is not coming back for oceans alone. He is coming back for the church. And I believe the happiest individuals, the most brave, courageous, faith-filled humans on earth are not living for their, their small C cause. They're living for the big C cause. Living for God's kingdom. I want to be personal right now. I want to I invest more of my finances in this life in God's kingdom than I do in the stock market. I want Jesus to own more of my heart than Netflix, than Disney. I want him to occupy more of my imagination than Hollywood does. I want Jesus to own more of my passion than the NFL owns. And I know I'm kicking some sacred cows. I'm not against any of those things. But I think if we're being really honest today, I think that the world possesses our cause at times more than God does. God, would you please make us different? Different people do three things. They saturate their mind with God thoughts. The Lord. The Lord. The Lord. They doubt doubters. (laughs) I'm not living for the doubts of doubters. And then they go on to go, you know what? I'm going to make sure that I'm living for a kingdom cause. How do you know that these people make a difference? Because every one of the people listed in Hebrews chapter 11 did those three things. What do you know? Well, I know this, that uh, it says that the elders obtain a good testimony. Because why? Because they uh, saturated their minds with the things of God. Because they doubted the doubters. And because they actually would go to, uh, they would live for a kingdom cause focus. We know that Abel was the same way. Offered God a more excellent sacrifice than his brother Cain. We know that Enoch pleased God so much so that God took him. He didn't, he didn't live for the doubters. He wasn't, he wasn't saturated with everything else. He was saturated with the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. We know that Noah, can you imagine Noah? Noah was not phased by the doubters. What do you do, an idiot, building a boat? It doesn't rain. We've never seen rain. The earth is watered from the ground up, not the top down. And he's building a boat for a hundred years. I guarantee he got some negative criticism. I guarantee Fox News and CNN was at his house going, crazy weirdo Noah, trying to serve God. The Bible calls him a preacher of righteousness. He was different in his day. What do you know about Noah, Mark? I know that he actually didn't 
live, he disregarded the doubters, that he saturated his mind on God, that he actually lived his life with a kingdom focus. What are you doing, weirdo? I'm building something. I'm building something. I'm building something. This guy's obedience to God saved humanity. Hebrews goes on and says, not just Noah, how about Abraham? How about Sarah receiving a promise to get pregnant when she's old? How about Isaac? How about Jacob? How about, uh, how about, how about Joseph and Moses and Joshua? What about Rahab? Rahab said everybody else knew that God was real. She was the only one that believed. Do you know that knowing that God's real does not change you? It's believing. That's what changes you. I think it's Hebrews 3 says that faith not being mixed with our, our knowledge not mixed with faith produces nothing. Something about hearing about God and believing about God. Goes on, Gibeon, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, all the prophets. What did they do? They were different. Why were they different? Come on, let's summarize this. Because they saturated their minds on the thoughts of the Lord. Because they actually made up their minds that we're going we're gonna to actually... Uh, we're going to disregard doubters. And we're actually going to make up our minds to live for a kingdom cause. How do you know they live for a kingdom cause? Because Hebrews 11 do documents, they subdued kingdoms. That they worked righteousness. It says that they obtained promises. That they stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched violence and fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. Out of, out of weakness they were made strong. They turned to flight the armies. Women received their dead back to life again. They experienced, they were tortured, but they did not accept deliverance. They went on trials, mockings, scourgings. They were chained. They were in prison. Some were stoned to death. Some were sawn in two. But it says they obtained a good testimony. They were different. Why? Because they saturated their mind. I was a pro snowboarder for, uh, for a few years. Not a big deal. Just realized that was a humble brag. I was a, I was a decent snowboarder back in the day. But what I knew was is that I did slope-style events, jumps and rails. And when I would jump these big jumps, I had to make up my mind ahead of time what I was going to do. I couldn't get to the face of the jump and go, you know what I think I'm going to do? I think I'm going to spin. I think I'm going to go flip. I think I'm going to go front ways. I had to make up my mind and actually visualize myself doing what I was going to do before I did it. At the end of Joshua's life in Joshua 24, he says, look, I don't know about you, but I know about me. As for me and my house, I don't care if it's popular, trendy, cool. I don't care if you post about it. I don't care if you talk bad about it or talk good about it. As for me, my life, I'm all in. And at the end of Joshua's life, he makes his greatest plea for the nation to serve God. We're going to be a church that's different. Are you hearing me today? You stand to your feet. Guy in the helicopter sees the same thing as, he's looking at the same thing that we are, but he's looking at it from a different perspective. Come on, men and women, looking at the same facts, they'll explain it completely differently. So what is the difference today? Well, I believe this. God is going to help us be a community and a church that uh, we're going to saturate our mind with God thoughts. The Lord. The Lord. The Lord. How many today would just say, Mark, would you pray for me that God would just begin to actually, instead of talking about the problem, the problem, the stress, the, the complaint, the complaint, the, the issue, the, the shortcoming, the lack, the lack. Come on. How many want to start talking about the Lord? Would you just lift your hands all over the room and say, you know what, God, 
Just forgive us for giving our mountains more credit than you. Tired of telling my mountains how big they are. I'm going to start telling my mountains how big God is. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord. I ask you, Lord, even today in Jesus' name, that God, all over this room, you would put a spirit of Joshua and Caleb into our church. That we would be a mountain-taking community. Orange County does not belong to darkness, hell, or the grave. This city belongs to Jesus. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.